five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to America.com. My name is Rich Doc Hayden, and I am with Harpo. And here we are. It is early March. So we had such a phenomenal episode with our 2-7 brother and close friend, uh, Matthew Maxwell, last week that we decided to bring him back on and talk about Ukraine again because that is what's been on uh, everybody's mind. It's been dominating the news for good reason. So, Matthew, welcome back to the, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, no problem. And thank you again for sharing on your time, your expertise, and your knowledge with us. So I guess the first thing that I want to start with is, so your girlfriend's friend in Ukraine who gave us this phenomenal uh, testimony and her, her point of view and her voice last week, how is she doing? Do you have, do you have an update on her and, and what's going on? Yeah, so I don't have an update on her. We sent her the link to the show. Uh, she lives in a place called Dnipro, which is south of Kiev. And so from what I've seen... Battle lines drawn on news uh, footage, like it hasn't, well, I wouldn't say, uh, at least Russian occupation isn't, uh, it isn't behind Russian lines at this point, which, you know, there's probably in the midst of conflict, who knows, because we're not there, but as far as what Russia has as territory secured, um, it is not in that bubble as of right now, but we have not heard from her, though. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're all, I know, I heard a lot from a lot of people about the last week's podcast. We are all praying for her, and we are all hoping that whether she has to spend the entire war in Ukraine or if she makes it to Europe or to points beyond, uh, we definitely hope that she is safe and uh, healthy and that her family is safe as well. So, yeah, and if she, if you hear from her, please let us know, because we would definitely love to know. So, thank you. So, so I guess let's let's go ahead and start. And, and Harp, I'll, I'll start with you. So, what have you been seeing in the last week? What are your thoughts on what's going on? You know, what, what, and, how to, and also, like, you know, how do everybody around you view it, too? I mean, we see it as we were hoping that Russia would get weaker. But we're not seeing any, really, not seeing any force-wise weakness coming out of Russia yet. They're, they're still pushing on with their with their agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, everybody's, you know, hot topic is, you know, gas prices because mm-hmm. of it. Got it. Uh, that's, that's all you see on your, on your Facebook feeds and uh, everybody around town talking about uh, when it gets below $2 a gallon again, we're going to start putting it in our freezers. <laughs> yeah. It can last longer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just, a, it's just, it, it just, it sucks for everybody. Yeah, and I think you know, and, and we can talk a bit about some of the domestic fallout, which it yeah. is going to happen, and we need to, you know, everybody needs to be prepared for that. So, um, so uh, uh, Matthew, moving on to you, what, what have you seen in the last week, and, and kind of where's your um, idea of where the conflict's at right now? Well, I mean, kind of my snapshot analysis of this thing is I think uh, Putin thought it was going to be an easy victory, right? And uh, he is definitely... The Russians bit off more than they 
could chew, I think. they. I don't think they were prepared for it. Uh, we kind of dove into this a little bit last week. There's, uh, I mean, as us being, um, as us being, you know, war vets ourselves and understanding, like, kind of tactics-wise, you're seeing some of the footage there, and there's a lot of missteps, right? This is really, minus, like, some special forces elements that were operating in Syria, like by and large, the Russian military is pretty untested, right? For something that has the reputation that they have, uh, and, and you can see it in how these guys are operating, some of those mistakes, and some of the big, bigger points on the news lately is like their, you know, logistics shortfalls. Uh, you know, speaking of gas, you know, they've got that 40-mile convoy that's running out of gas and food. Um, you know, so some of the things, how we would do, how, how we would do things, uh, and I think is tested that, uh, I don't think these guys have thought through because largely they have not been involved in anything. Right. Uh, you, you saw the news report about the Russians that were stuck in the elevator, right? Like, oh, no, I didn't see that actually. What, what happened? <laughs> oh, that's, uh, so these Russian soldiers, took the elevator, uh, and then the uh, some Ukrainian municipal town guy shut the power off. <laughs> so they're stuck in the elevator, right? So, uh, But it's one of those things, like, you know, we used to, you know, largely if we could, and I know we did this in Fallujah where we would, you know, put boards across and go from rooftop to rooftop and work our way from the roof down. And, and you've seen things like, uh, you know, rangers and, and more like, uh, you know, Green Beret and SF guys in Baghdad that would land the little birds on the roof and work their way down uh, because it's just easier to fight that than trying to fight up upstairs and whatnot. So, you know, it's things like that, things that we've battle-tested and know that you're just seeing that they don't know, right? They're just kind of make, making these mistakes. But... You know, it's more on, on the tactical side of things, but by and large, like, strategically, like, they, you know, they, they've they alienated, like, Putin. I, I, I'm not going to say they. Putin has alienated Russia from the world. Uh, and I think the steps that we've taken collectively, you know, between us and Europe and everybody else that have just cut them off. And finally, I'm glad to see that the, the SWIFT international banking system piece was shut off on them. Um, yep. You know, that's, that's huge. That is crushing their economy. And Putin's war chest will not last long. Uh, it's already unpopular with the people. And once they're starving, that's yeah, going to be real unpopular. So huge misstep there. Uh, and I, you know, like last week, I was like, "Now nah, let's lob a hundred tomahawks in there," because you know, like uh, any John Wayne movie watching uh, red meat eating American, uh, you know. But my first reaction is lob tomahawks and uh, and let's crush these dudes. Um, but I mean, economically, and it kind of goes to kind of a side project I was working on where I was talking about how like political and economic battlefields are as important in the 21st century yep. as the physical battle space. I think what we've done to like crush their economy uh, has a huge impact. 
Uh, and then, you know, we could dive into the social media aspect and media in general, uh, because I think that's a huge piece. And I, there's, mm-hmm. there's some other stuff in the news. I, I think that's something we should talk about tonight is uh, the importance of having that communic- having that line out there uh, for Ukraine to get the message out and for us to prevent the Russians from controlling the narrative, right? Oh, on 100%. We can, yeah, definitely, definitely get to that. And I think, yeah, and it's a whole, it's, it's a whole new space. It's not like, you know, World War II where everybody, you know, everybody in the, um, on the domestic side that didn't go off to fight, they got their news from newsreels, but this is even before television. They got their news from newsreels um, at the movies, and the, you know, the, you know, the U.S. government was able to, you know, very carefully censor and curate um, what they saw, um, you know, on, in these newsreels. And I'm sure the, the Soviet army during World War II, I, I'm not exactly sure what their propaganda apparatus was like, but they were able to do that. And yet nowadays, you know, you just have these, between social media and, um, you know, electronic uh, communication, it's just so much faster and so much more porous. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. So, so, you know, I would actually pretty much echo everything that you said. I think the big surprise for me is just how poorly the Russian army has fought. And that's, and I'll say this too, the, 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 the Ukrainians have put up a hell of a fight too. So, uh, you know, it's this combination of uh, Russian incompetence and Ukrainian, um, you know, uh, uh, will and, and, and strength and really punching uh, way above their uh, weight that has really bogged the Russians down. And I know it for since the, the Russian military was, you know, untested uh, for, you know, the last 30 or even 40 years, except in you know, Chechnya and, and you're right, the special forces in Syria, I had read a number of articles, um, you know, kind of leading up to this that they had spent, uh, you know, relatively speaking, had spent a lot of money modernizing their army and a lot of analysts were like, you know, we got to start taking them seriously because historically, um, Russians kind of fell into this pattern where they had nukes, but their conventional armies were always trash. And, um, you know, I think I read a lot of things on the, the workup to this. It's like, no, 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 they're changed. They've changed. They've changed. They've changed. But it's kind of, um, they really haven't changed much at all. And I think if there were no nuclear weapons involved, if they were to go toe to toe with um, any modern um, professional NATO force, we would fucking hand them their asses. You know what I mean? Like, it well, would just be... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's kind of my observation. Like, it's interesting because it's one of those things. It's you. They have this reputation, right? Like, and it's kind of a holdover from the Cold War, mm-hmm. you know, that the Russian army was like, you know, it would be like the Mongols invading. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you would stand no chance, um, you know, for nostalgia's sake. Yesterday, uh, we were watching Red Dawn, 1984, great movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was one of those things. It's like, you know, they're going to sweep in and just crush. And what we're seeing is that's not the case. And you're right. Like, you know, when they have, when they can dangle the nuke card in the background, yeah, that's intimidating. But conventional force on a conventional force, which I think goes against everything we've ever thought about the Russians. You know, you guys and the dudes that we were in the 
war on terror with, like, I think we would, I don't think we'd fuck them up. Yeah. Like, like no one's ever seen. Like, it would be, uh, you know, it'd be like us taking on the Republican Guard. Because yeah. these fucking, these kids that are conscripted into doing <laughs> Russia's bidding, their heart's not in it. And that's why the Ukrainians are fucking them up. Because, yeah, yeah the Ukrainians don't want to live under that thumb, like yeah. you were saying before. Uh, and, and they're fighting for their homeland. They're fighting for their to, to continue their family, their bloodline, like Harpo was saying last week. Yeah. Like, yeah. So guess what, dude? Yeah, it's fucking Wolverines all over again, yeah. right? They're gonna fuck these dudes up. Uh, and these Russian kids who thought that they were going to a training exercise, yeah. right? Some of those are being captured. They're like, oh shit, you know, people are shooting at us. Yeah. Well, no shit, dude. Welcome to the fucking world. Yeah. And. And guys like you, me, and Harpo, dude, we did it for a fucking decade, right? Yeah. So, you know, fucking, well, welcome to reality, motherfuckers. Yeah, you, One, you better be ready to fight. 100%, 100%. Now, <clears throat> I will admit, last week, last, I think it was last, last Thursday or Friday, I had a, uh, a real down moment where it seemed like the... Um, inevitable uh, sort of end for Ukraine was, was coming because <clears throat> they were, um, you know, the, the, I mean, the Russian army just, it, it just looked like it was dominating. And I, I still think that they, they still, um, in the end after, I don't know if it's going to be a month, two months, three months, probably will eventually complete their invasion of the country. But uh, it is going to be, Far, far more costlier uh, on the Russian side. Oh, sorry, sorry, let me back up. So I did have, um, that last Friday, I did have a very heart-sinking moment where I felt like shit because I was like, God, um, you know, the, the Ukrainians are eventually going to get run over. But um, but that it hasn't happened yet. And, you know, even though I, I do think it's going to happen, and like, like we were speaking about last week, I think the Russians are going to kind of win the war, but um, it's... It's looking. It's definitely looking like they're gonna. If they do win, they're gonna win after losing much, much, much more than they bargained for. And there is a very. It's not. An, it's an outside chance, but there is a very, very small chance that the Ukrainians might squeak this one out. I don't know. You know, the situation on the ground may be very different. It may be a lot that we're not I mean, seeing, but I don't know. You know, it's it's looking. The longer it lasts, the, the better. It's kind of kind of looking. You know. Dude, that shit, man, that was our fucking war, too, right? The longer that the insurgency can hold out, the better off they are, right? Cause yep. And the same thing in Vietnam. Like, hey, we will wait We will wait it out, and we will freaking grind you down to where you just don't want to do this anymore. And that was in Ben Conable's article about how he thought a, a Ukraine insurgency would go and how the Russians would eventually just get wore out by the by the time they rolled out, you know, by the time they turned tail and ran, they would be broken, right? And, uh -huh. dude, I don't know if you remember the movie The Professional, right? But it's like Putin right now is like the scene where Gary Oldman's like, send everyone, right? Because, <laughs> because freaking, uh, you know, the French dude is fucking these guys up, right? They sent, in the movie, they sent the SWAT teams and all this shit, and he is fucking, like, and, and then Zelensky, Zelensky's laying waste to these bitches. Yeah. Like, oh, you thought, yeah. you, you thought this was going to be easy? You thought you are going to send the Russian army and, and 
you just don't us? No, this shit ain't happening. Yeah. So yeah, it's a send everyone and they're just pushing troops in. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It's like uh you know, it's like the movie the three hundred. You can send a million man army, we will we will grind them into fucking dust yeah. mm-hmm. is pretty much the message uh Ukraine is sending Russia, like, yeah, send them all. We'll yeah. fucking pretty. send them home in fucking boxes home. Pretty much, pretty much, and I actually I read a, a quick article today that um, the Russians have requested help from Syria to send people as well, and um, no decision has been made yet. But I guess U.S. intelligence intercepted this, and like I was like, Jesus, if they're asking the Syrians to come help, oh man, yeah. it is, like, I'm pretty sure the Syrians are like, we got our own shit right now, dude. Yeah, <laughs> but. I know. I know they asked. Uh, what was it? China, China Bank. They're trying to use them. Yeah. So. See that. So, China. Now another thing that has surprised me too. China has really turned into a fair weather friend, and um, they have. Well, they don't take care of Putin. They was that. I said they don't take care of Putin. You know, I, I I'm really curious as to what's been happening behind the scenes because. They have been um, very, very slowly, like putting some distance between um, themselves and Russia. And uh, you know, I'm I'm very, very surprised because I thought that she at least would come out and like, you know, make some kind of cursory uh, 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 statements or announcements or something, and say, you know, um, or at least um, kind of lay a smackdown on NATO. But that hasn't happened, and. Uh, you know, I read a great article today about how the, China actually has very close ties with Ukraine as well. And, you know, I thought that in this they'd, they'd choose Russia because, you know, uh, Putin and Xi have met, you know, 20 or 30 times. And um, just r- most recently, right before the Olympics, and, uh, you know, they pledged this undying loyalty to each other. And, you know, um, behind the scenes, I'm sure they're definitely doing some things, but I'm, I'm really surprised that they haven't moved, um, more soon, but you know what? She... I have a, I have a, I have a different opinion on that actually. Mm. What's um, that? because here's the deal, man, like China, China plays the long game, right? I think we've talked about this in the past. China is one of those people, like when we think long term, we think 10 years, right? Mm. Like China's thinking a century mm. at least, mm. right? Yeah. And whatever Putin's prospects are in Eastern Europe does not align with China's long-term mm. goals. So, I, so two things, like China's A, going to sit out and wait to see who's going to be the winner, and then they'll back that guy because they don't want to, you know, they've got the Belt and Road Initiative. They're trying to take, you know, they have been trying to develop themselves as a superpower, which I think they've successfully done, mm-hmm. rival to the United States, uh, in every aspect, politics, uh, economics, you know, like trade, this whole, like, uh, you know, being the leading role in globalization with the Belt and Road, Road Initiative. Mm-hmm. So, like... You know, a 70-year-old man who freaking, uh, you know, longs for the days of the Soviet Union, they they could give a fuck about that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. At the yeah. end of the day, China is for China. Yes, yeah. And if fucking Russia gets in the way, well, fuck them, because they are, though they're not adversaries with the Russians, they're competitors at mm. the end of the day, right? And mm. they'll, and, you know, 
they'll make nice with them and have these like like you said the the, the pledges overtly if it, if they think it's going to help them get their way right mm-hmm. so if they could if if they could weaken the, the US on the world stage right not not like militarily or anything but just economically and politically if they could if they could weaken them by partnering with Russia of course they're going to do it but at some point China's going to want to come out in the lead and the Russians could get fucked. And like pretty much like China's like, yeah. oh, well, if the Russians want to fucking nail their own coffin shut, let them. Fuck yeah. you. At the end of the day, we're, we're numero uno, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, you know, to kind of piggyback on that too, if, if the world does uh, kind of line up in a sort of, um, you know, U.S. and Western democracies on one side and China and Russia on the other, then Russia is always going to be the weaker client state to China. And maybe, you know, maybe seeing how poorly they have performed, you know, militarily and just how quickly uh, the world has turned against Russia, maybe they're saying, oh man, we really fucking picked the wrong partner uh, in this game going forward. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, it's it's China's really really interesting. Um, but you're you know, you're, uh, you're right. They are they play the very very long game. And you know, with Taiwan, they're looking. They're always uh, always looking at Taiwan and are seeing kind of saying like you know if Taiwan we could we could go and have a whole episode about Taiwan. But Taiwan is an island, so they can't do Taiwan the same way that they did Hong Kong because they don't have any control of it. Like it's going to have to be an invasion. It's definitely going to be bloody, and there's no way that they can do it without, um, you know, massive loss of both China. Basically, there's no way they can um, get Taiwan without completely raising Taiwan. Um, and and right. also, I'll tell you what, the whole Taiwan piece in the South China Sea, mm-hmm. there's a huge dynamic there of that shipping lane. Yes, yeah. Because if you took an international shipping lane and now made it territorial waters from China, I don't think anyone's going to want that to happen. Yeah. Yep. I really think that the fucking... I really think that the whole Russia going into Ukraine made China pump the brakes on Taiwan. Because I think... Yep. You're right. I mean, you know, they have... Go- and it goes to the international... We talked about this last week with the international community and this openness and the globalization where it does have a lot of positive benefits. Some of the turning a blind eye so we could all play nice. I think that has gone away. And I think China yeah. realizes that too. Yes. That's yeah. why they're not like, you know, Oh yeah. Like, Hey, the, the deals we made a month ago are still, are still valid. I think they're like, you're saying they're distancing themselves because they're seeing like, you know, this shit's not going to fly. Right. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a threshold, and and Russia has proven what that threshold is. One hundred percent. And yeah. And they're basically. Um, and I said this last week. I think the you know uh, of the you know the the second part of the U.S. strategy um, uh, here in with this current war in Russia is basically to uh, deter the Chinese from going into Taiwan or taking uh, provocative military steps. Uh, elsewhere, because if the Chinese wanted to, they could go in and they could take Taiwan. We'd be bloody; it would be awful, but they could do it. Um, so it's a matter of uh, you know letting them know there's going to be an extremely high cost. And do you want to you know basically do you want to set your economy back thirty years to take this island? 
and you know she has to 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 weigh that you know and also i i don't want to get i don't get too far into this but you know what with as poorly as the russian military has performed uh it isn't unthinkable that the chinese military might um you know really be the exact same but i hope we don't i hope we don't have to find out you know what i mean but um it's possible so but uh but yeah so um yeah so that's it is um really really uh, 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 i think there's also a huge turning point um, you know in geopolitical relations i think that we're seeing a lot of you know alignment and realignment kind of snapping back into a uh, cold war type mindset so now harper let me ask you this so uh, do you think that with this war um have you seen you know either some republicans or just on the news that you are um you're getting uh, some shifts in attitudes towards foreign policy or um towards the russians right i mean that's kind of a dumb question because of course there's but like what are the shifts that you're seeing well, i mean you see lindsey graham in the, in the news talking, you know oh, gotta get, you know gotta take Putin out you know yeah. <laughs> uh, i mean that's that's kind of where most i would think most republicans stand mm-hmm. uh, let's not drag it out we know where the problem is let's take care of the problem yeah and for the first time in my life, I think I, I read that tweet and I was like, Lindsay, I 100% agree with you. Don't know if she should have come out and said it quite like that and in this public space, but I think he's absolutely Who right. Why not? He, was, he just said what 90% of the Americans were thinking. Well, yeah, the, the, the thing that I was a little worried about that is like, um, like whoever, whatever internal machinations are happening in Russia they have to, to the Russian people um, and, and to the world at large, it has to look like it's Russia. There can't be any American fingerprints on it. And um, I mean, our fingerprints are going to be on everything, just about. But yeah, but there's there, there, there's going to be something. But yeah, the whole you know the whole actually China, Russia, all, pretty much every government in the entire world thinks that. Um, the U.S. has these, you know, top-secret CIA teams who can infiltrate their government, depose their leader, you know, with a flick of a switch, and and um, basically control their government, which which isn't true. Like the three of us know that that is not true. That we are not capable. Maybe with like smaller countries, obviously we can do that. But with countries like China, Russia, um, you know, established powers, we're just unable to do that. And um, you know, whatever happens internally has to be internally done but i did 100 percent agree with his actual statement and i hope somebody does do that but um yeah, but so, I mean, you know there's no there's no doubt that there's nobody getting close to him that's not in his inner circle he's not seeing mm-hmm. anybody out of his inner circles mm-hmm. yeah be, it'd have to be somebody from within mm-hmm. and uh, matthew if if i'm not mistaken you are a little bit more libertarian minded is that correct uh, you know, it's funny, like, yeah, I, for a long time I've been a libertarian. Uh, I was having, like, self-reflection over the weekend. I was like, geez, am I liberal? <laughs> it's like... Yeah, I'm just like, uh, so I'm kind of like, the, the jury's still out. Like, I've always I've always been a libertarian, but uh, but sometimes I just wonder. So I've, I've, I'm not sure where I stand. I, I'm very, definitely very independent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 
I've got a lot of theory as to like Republicans and Democrats being two co- two sides of the same coin, and the illusion of choice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is probably why I've been a libertarian for as long as I have, because I don't trust any of it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and the only thing that libertarians don't trust more than Democrats and Republicans are other libertarians. Okay, right? okay. I mean, we we hate each other more than we hate Democrats and Republicans. That's uh, that's that's freaking for sure. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, I guess I guess I suppose long term that's been that's been my stance on things. It- and do you know? Did you notice that um, there has been any? Ch- and so, in the, sort of the, the 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 circles where you get your news from, or where you know where you get your information and um, you know your opinions from, have you noticed a a shift, or how, or what is the uh, uh, point of view towards Russia now versus I don't know two or three months ago? Well, so you know, I don't like libertarian libertarian specific news sources. I don't really. I don't even know if I mean. Well, there's Reason Magazine. That's pretty decent, um, but most of most of my news comes from NPR. Mm, okay. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll tell you the big the big ones I follow are NPR, um, Al Jazeera, mm-hmm. uh, Reason Magazine. Uh, for some the, Reason Reason does a lot more domestic issue type. Mm-hmm. I mean, their kind of stance is, uh, you know, like, I think everyone agrees we should have a strong defense, but we shouldn't uh, be in the habit of nation building and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So so really, my news sources, I mean, um, I try to look for sources. It's so funny, like, when, when we got bin Laden, right? I went, the first place I tuned into was Al Jazeera, just mm. to confirm. Like, mm. okay, if they're saying it, I'm pretty sure it's true. Mm-hmm. Not that not that the UAE is, is the source of my news, it's just, I like to look at different things. And I'll, I'll, I'll look at every news source, being a former I.O. guy, mm. uh, information operations, like, I'm always, I want to see what everyone's narrative is and kind of just, you know, take all the headlines and see what's the common thread and then just dissect to find the truth somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So cool. Cause you know, so hearing you guys like, and, and, um, uh, uh, and harp hearing you like, so I'm actually, I listen to NPR a lot. I'm, you know, I'm generally pretty liberal, but I found in this last week and a half, like in regards to Russia and kind of foreign policy in general, I found myself kind of sounding like Reagan. I was like, Holy shit! Have I like again just in foreign policy? Have I become like kind of a Reaganite? My mom many years ago uh, sent me a Ronald Reagan T-shirt as a joke, and I was like, Jesus, do I have to like start wearing that now? But like I've suddenly become, uh, you know, very uh, anti-Russian. And when I say anti-Russian, I mean anti-Putin specifically, not anti-Russian people. I just want to clarify that. But very anti-Russian and very much. Um, you know, uh, 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 pro-NATO, um, pro-Europe, and, like, very much back into, like, we need to have a strong national defense because, uh, you know, it's, we need to counter the Russians. And I was like, oh, wow. So, and there are, you know, um, I've since, in the couple last couple of days, I had to cool down a little bit. So I've, I've, been lo- I've been actually looking, reading just a little bit, but kind of the history of um, the Cold War and where we got, you know, we got some things right, but then we also got a lot of stuff wrong, too. 
Um, so, but right. yeah, but I really do. I think that this has, uh, you know, really uh, kind of shaken. I'm um, kind of shaken a couple of um, uh, the politicians, shaken a lot of Americans, and I think in a lot of ways, in a good way, and kind of made us think. You know, over the, over the last um, you know twenty years or so, the uh, my my hope, my big hope is that. Uh, we're going to start to um, begin to work on the polarization here in the country because when we have a, a common threat and a common cause, it's uh, easier for people of different ideological persuasions to at least find some sort of common ground. And, you know, we're not going to agree on everything, but, um, you know, I think one thing that everybody can agree on is that, you know, democracy is fragile, it's important, and um, Ukraine needs help. And it seems like Everybody in the U.S. so far has uh, really rallied behind that, and I think what I think is is the right thing to do. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, right? Uh, well, I mean, it's, you know, two two things on that. Like, you know, Reagan's rhetoric is kind of coming true with Putin, right? Mm. Uh, and and that's one of those things where, like, yeah, when you kind of scratch your head, like, oh shit, am I following along with this? Well. It's because of the shit that he said. And, and that's one of those things. It's like we were talking about that last week, like Putin's nostalgia to bring back the days of the Warsaw Pact, mm-hmm. right? Like, so, I mean, that plays into that whole narrative, right? Like that was the, uh, you know, the, the, enemy, the enemy at the gate type uh, uh, talk and the, uh, you know, Russia being an evil empire and stuff like that, but that Reagan said, like, they're showing to be that at, yeah. at right now. So it's kind of easy to, like, oh, yeah, I could agree with that because you're seeing it firsthand, right? And it does, and it isn't, it isn't like Russia as a whole, but the people that control the power are the, are, are, are definitely, you know, fitting the, fit the narrative there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a second point that I was going to get on, but, uh, the Maker's March going down pretty smooth. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so I lost that second point altogether. <laughs> All right. Well, you know that's a that's a good segue. So um, let's talk about how this is going to affect uh, U.S. domestic policy and U.S. domestic policy politics. So Harp, I think you brought up a great point earlier, and I think the big problem, the big challenge for the Biden administration and for the U.S. in general is going to be the economic fallout on our end from uh, this war. So you're saying, you're, you know, I know, and also, let me give a little bit of context. Harp's been sending me a whole bunch of um, gas memes, so I know that, like, uh, high gas prices are on his mind. Um, so what do you think the U.S. needs to do to keep... Um, uh, you know, the domestic, uh, everybody, you know, domestically um, uh, engaged and uh, what do we need to do to make sure that um, we have everything covered over here so that we can, uh, you know, keep the focus on Putin and keep the pressure on Putin over there? Energy independent. Mm. Yep. So... Don't depend, don't depend on that foreign stuff. Mm-hmm. We can do it all here ourselves. Mm-hmm. So... You know, uh, I actually one of the th- one of the things that I've shifted on. It, 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 if, if we had energy independence and that's all we had to focus on was Putin, 
you know. Mm-hmm. I would think we could probably put more resources towards the other versus our own energy. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know what, I, I have to agree with you. And in, in, in the last two weeks, my, um, in, re, in response to, you know, the events uh, in Ukraine and Russia, my, uh, you know, opinion has shifted a bit um, on uh, uh, our energy stance. And I do think that we, I, I think we have, it's, it's sort of a two-pronged um, approach. Number one, we do need to um, start to work towards uh, you know, keeping pr- gas prices and energy prices down h- here. And number two, uh, I think we need to partner with Europe. And I don't think that that necessarily means just, you know, um, drilling more and, and, and getting more, um, you know, uh, uh, gas and petroleum out into the market. Though that's a part, even though I'm reluctant to, uh, traditionally reluctant to do that, that's a part. I think that we also can use this opportunity to really, invest in renewables and, you know, work with Europe to uh, uh, create a, you know, a European-American renewable partnership because it's not just, um, you know, energy independence is not just about pumping more um, petroleum or more gas. It's also about reconfiguring our, um, you know, our energy, our energy system and our energy economy. So I I hope that we actually, I kind of, in this way, I kind of think that there's a route forward that will make both Republicans and Democrats happy, where we can increase domestic energy production, which I think, excuse me, increase, you know, domestic uh, uh, petroleum and and carbon energy production, while also promoting clean energy as well. So kind of work on the short term and the long term. Um, And I hope, I, I really hope that somebody is, you know, somebody in government is thinking about this. But, yeah, I, you know, Harp, I think you, you hit the nail right on the head that, um, you know, if we do also restrict European, or excuse me, Russian, um, Russian energy, if we, we stop buying it, it's going to increase prices even further. And we can't expect our European partners to just go cold turkey and to, um, you know, give it up without... Providing some sort of alternate for them. So, uh, Maxwell, what do you what do you think on either the energy um, topic or or domestically? What what's your take on it? Well, you know, I, I saw this chart earlier, and I think the source was the AP. Um, and I'm I'm on the phone right now talking to you guys, so I can't really pull it up. But it showed that the United States was the largest oil producer at 10.9 billion barrels a day or something like that. And then Russia was number two, and then Saudi Arabia was number three. So it's one of those things like, is is that accurate? We leave the world in oil production, um, but when Russia is the number two leading producer, it will have an impact regardless. Like we, you know, like, and I think to, to your guys' point, like you and Harpo, like if we cut them off, you know, that will probably have, that'll have the, the most impact on them, but it will also impact the world economy because they are the second mm-hmm. largest producer of oil uh, in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it it can't exist in a vacuum, but yeah, it's definitely. I mean, this stuff's definitely affecting us. Uh, 
for the same reason, right? Like, if we cut them off, it will have an impact. Um, what's going on in the world, just because what we talked about, like, the interconnectedness and the, the globalization, like, um, nothing exists in a vacuum anymore, right? The, the, the yes. fact that there's an ocean on each side of us doesn't separate us from the world economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's mm-hmm. one of those things, like when you have the second largest oil producer in the world uh, with a major conduit going through a country that they're currently at war with, uh, that's going to have an impact. Yeah. Right. We produce 10.9 billion barrels a day and it's still going to affect us. Right. Uh, because Wall Street, you know, operates on a different, you know, they they're taking the whole, the entirety into account. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, we need to, I agree with Harpo as far as we need to be energy independent. Uh, I mean, you know, you know, what's going to, you know, what's going to happen. You remember when we were over there, they would only open gas stations for one day. Y'all remember going down Michigan and seeing those long lines at the gas stations because everybody had to get gas. Mm -hmm. People sitting on the side of the roads for miles. I mean that's 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 about what it's probably going to come to around here. Hey, let me can I just, keep going this way. I just want to give everybody just a quick bit of context in uh, Iraq when we were there. There were some fuel shortages, so uh, you know, I, Iraqis would have you know cars lined up for a mile at gas stations waiting for get gas. And and you know what, it was like that here in the seventies, and um, yeah, I it. I hope it doesn't come to that again, but um, but no, yeah, you're you're right. Like it, we're, I, mean, we're, I mean, the lo- my, my little local gas station that's four miles from my house, mm-hmm. they ran out of gas. Mm-hmm. Didn't bring him any gas. Yeah. He was out. He yeah. was out for two days. Mm-hmm. So, and and I and so yeah, I I actually I I'll, I guess I'm becoming a little more conservative on this point too. I definitely think that we need energy independence, but also too, I I want to get back to 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 what I was saying. It's not necessarily just about pumping more petroleum. And you know what? I'm going to give you an example that hits close to home. So, uh, Maxwell, you might not know this, but uh, Harp just got um, solar panels on his house. And in a couple of episodes, we're, we're, um, I'm going to, you know, we'll, we'll do a, uh, an electric, I want to do an electric episode. But, um, like, that's one household that uh, now does not need, um, you know, natural gas or coal um, or basically carbon energy to heat it. So Harp, I don't know if you realized it, but you getting your house solar power, not only are you saving money and helping the environment, you are also helping the war effort because you are reducing demand for um, fuel and reducing our need for extra fuel. So, um, you know, Harpo, bravo for you. I don't, like I said, I don't think you realized you were doing that at the time, but, you know, we need a lot more of that as well to kind of hit these goals. And I think, again, I think that this is something that Democrats and Republicans uh, both can work on um, that we're really not that far apart on if we just bring some more creative and interesting ideas into it. Because if, 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 and one of the things I want to say, Harp, you, your carbon footprint might be smaller than mine at this point. And um, if even shit, uh, 10 point, what, what, uh, 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 Maxwell, how many barrels does um, Russia uh, produce? Uh, each year, do you or or it's what was? I'm sorry, it was like what percentage of um, world petroleum exports was it? Uh, no, they had it at nine point seven billion, and we were at ten point nine. Oh. So they were they were number two after us. Got it, got it. All right, so 
if we could theoretically reduce our, um, I, I don't know what percentage that is of U.S. Uh, 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 oil imports, if we could reduce our energy needs by, you know, 10%, then poof, there goes all the Russian oil and we don't need it anymore. You know what I'm saying? So. Um, if we keep going up on fuel, that just means solar is going to go up. Ain't nothing, nobody will ever get it. Man, well, I, you know, shit, we were all stationed at 29 Palms. That's the largest training base in the Marine Corps. That thing was run entirely on solar and geothermal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, you know, it's not just some, like, crazy whack job, uh, science i mean it's like legit alternate yeah. energy sources and like like i said like the largest training base in the marine corps runs off of alternative fuels and so without going too far off topic a couple of years ago i read a article about how um the u.s military is really working on um solar uh, solar devices so um, they don't. So if you have if you have a fob, a Ford operating base for those who don't know, if you have a fob out in the middle of the desert in Iraq that does not need um, uh, uh, diesel or needs very very little diesel. That's less um, resupply convoys. That's um, uh, you know less that you have to bring out there, and they're able to in, uh, operate a bit more independently. And that's um, military speak for those who don't. Know, we call it a force multiplier because um, you're not worried about convoys getting blown up, but I digress. That's the PSC's worst, day, worst nightmare right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, you know, that's uh, we gotta funny that you bring that up. Sure this crash. Yeah. <laughs> What's when, I was at Mc, when I was at McCoy, there, there goes had, the firewatch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the, uh, oh, man, what the heck, the UOC cap set? The UOC, the, uh, the Combat Operations Center. So basically the command post, right? Yeah, the CLC. We had that. We had that at McTogg. We had the ones we were testing. The ones where it ran off of solar panels. So that whole trailer with the servers and all that shit and uh, everything ran off of solar. Like mm-hmm. we tested that shit out. And you're right. It was it was for operating in austere conditions and reducing the need to have logistical resupplies at such a frequent rate because you couldn't get there. And then they could airdrop in food chow. Or chow water and ammo, right? But mm-hmm. you know, some Lance Corporal doesn't have to risk getting blown up by an IED because you need fucking gas every day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if you know, in I mean, that's if you look at the 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 U.S. and if you scale that up, and you know the the parts of the country, it's going to be different for every part of the country. You know, like here here in the South and in the uh, Southwest where. There's more, um, you know, more sunlight. Uh, obviously, could be more solar powered. You know, in the Northeast, they may have other areas where they can have renewables, and and you know, we'll always need some petroleum. But if we can really reduce it, then yeah, basically reduce it all on our own, and you know, cut out the Saudis and cut out the Russians. I mean, then pff, all, all Russia, all Russia has, even today, all Russia has is. Uh, natural gas and nukes, and that and vodka, and that is it, man. Yeah, that is it. <laughs> like nothing else, nothing else. So hey, and Polish vodka is much better than Russian vodka. Uh, I'm here to tell you. Hundred percent agree. One hundred percent agree. So yeah. <laughs> so, but um, but sorry. So back to Ukraine now. I guess um, 
So the 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 maybe like the last thing we'll touch on is, um, no, nobody knows the answer to this, but what is, like Putin? What is going on next with the Russian government? And Maxwell, I'll open this up with you. What would you think with the the sanctions? The war not going well. Like, what do you think is next, and how do you think this is going to turn out for them? Well, the one thing I kind of wanted to reach back to that I hit up in the beginning was the the, the narrative piece, right? I don't know if you saw like Elon Musk with the Starlink hooking up the hooking up Ukraine with Starlink. I did. Yeah, that was cool. And so that that's a huge thing. Like the Russians, you know, and it's just like any invading army. You're going to knock out communications, right? You don't want them to have the ability to mass or communicate with each other or get the narrative, get the message out, right? Because the one thing that's helping rally the world around Ukraine is the people of Ukraine and and the president's ability to get his message out and just show like the character of the Ukrainian people, right? That that's huge. It's huge. And I think we've seen, I mean, it's always been something that's existed throughout time of controlling information. You were talking earlier about, like, the newsreels, right? It was highly censored. It was, it was curated, and it served a purpose. Like, that, that is still an important piece now. And that is where we go in the next 30 days with this war that is a huge piece. And right now, Ukraine is winning that fucking fight. Yep. Mm-hmm. Big, big time. And I just saw something before we came on, which was anonymous, was hacking Russian streaming service and playing and broadcasting footage from Ukraine just in case, you know, just in case the Russian people don't know what's really going on, just so they could see. Like, this is what your government is doing. Mm-hmm. And that has worked time and time again because, you know, it's highly sensitive. It's just like in Iran, you know, like the Iranian government, they definitely control the media and they shut that pipeline off as necessary uh, to control the, you know, control the narrative and to just, they don't want people to see everything else, right? So, 2009 when they had the green revolution that's one aspect of it and then i think i i don't know the year exactly but in the last four years they had oh i know it was when uh, we killed Soleimani. Mm. when we killed him and the you uh, the iranian students were like they won't walk on the american flag like, there's been several opportunities in history for us to back the Iranians, and I know this is about Ukraine, but I'm just saying this is the importance of the narrative and importance of controlling mm-hmm. the story and the importance of information, right? There's been several chances for us to really change things in Iran, but we, we never had the balls to do it. Mm-hmm. But all of that is fueled by the narrative. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Arab Spring, right, started in Tunisia. The Arab Spring started with a with a fruit stand owner getting crushed by his government, setting himself yep. on fire, and then that hitting social media. There yep. was several countries, several like Muslim countries in the Middle East and in North Africa 
that changed hands of power without a shot being fired because of social media. So if that doesn't, if that doesn't, if that doesn't say like the power of information, right. And I'm biased. I'm an IO guy. Like this is what I did. Right. Mm -hmm. Fucking psyop deception, this, this whole thing. So that's, that's my background. So I'm a little biased on, but I'm only biased because it fucking works. Right. Mm -hmm, And right mm -hmm. now Ukraine is owning fucking social media mm-hmm. they fucking own it mm-hmm. yeah a hundred percent it's a compelling story these guys got balls of steel they've got the fucking character and they are fighting the fucking evil man crushing them right or trying to crush them and they're not being successful they fucking own it and that's why the whole world rallies around them uh and that's one of those things it's like you know there's there's a mixed opinion on Elon Musk, but right now, put, fucking put one in the fucking wind column as yep. far as Starlink's concerned. Yep. Uh, and, you know, opening up that pipeline, it, it is so fucking important and so necessary for the fucking people of Ukraine to be able to get their fucking message out. Yep. And for people to know. And, and if, if this anonymous thing is fucking true and they're like hacking fucking... Russian streaming service to fucking show them what's really happening in Ukraine right now. That is fucking powerful shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always there's already thousands of fucking people in Russia that are fucking protesting. That's just going to exponentially grow between fucking seeing the truth and seeing what's really fucking happening. And yep, you know, Doc, you sent me that Zinky Boys book. You know, they suppress it. I mean, we're not much better, and we, we're equally culpable as our country in suppressing what the fuck is really happening. But, I mean, Russia, that's like fucking, that's, that's SOP, right? That's standard operating procedure. Yep. So yep. Uh, getting that info out is huge, right? So, I mean, that's, that's to me like winning the information warfare game in the next 30 days is, critical and i think right now i fucking put i, I put my money on ukraine 100% i i think i agree with every single word that you said the um and and i will add a a couple things i think that um the inside russia as you know the money starts to run out and as you know bread lines start to form i said you know I, the one thing i i kind of thought to myself i was like i know um uh, Putin wants to bring the Soviet Union back. I didn't realize he also wanted to bring like bread lines, massive unemployment, bootleg jeans, and a fucked up economy back too. But I guess he's going to get that as well. But you know, as like the Russians start to run out of money and run out of food, the dissonance between the official message and uh, what's actually happening is just going to become too great. But um, but yes, I. I, uh, Bashman, you're absolutely right that everything, um, the, the Ukrainians are winning the uh, information war, like, hands down. And, you know, another thing, too, that I think that they have is not just that they're more tech-savvy and winning the war, but that this is an actual David versus Goliath-type situation. Like, they, in reality, they are morally in the right here. Like, during World... Like, one of the reasons that World War II was um, uh, such a... Uh, I don't want to use the word slam dunk, but that it was so it, it was so black and white is because Hitler was so evil, and um, the Japanese, while not as systematically uh, evil as Hitler was, took his side and committed their own atrocities um, in China. But it was 
Um, it was like, you know, we are going to war to stop this guy from, you know, uh, uh, basically annihilating um, an entire race of people and taking over Europe. It was, it was pretty easy. And here, the Ukrainians are fighting for their homeland against a tyrant who is essentially coming in and invading. And it's, it really is black and white, you know. And I, I, the, one of the examples I think about is like in the 80s, we, um, we basically we funded Saddam in his war against uh, Iran. And it was a sort of a proxy war between us and Iraq and the Iranians. And, you know, Saddam was a piece of shit. And the, you know, after the end of the war, he became what he became. And we, you know, we have our, everybody knows the, you know, the rest of the history in that relationship. But, um, you know, we are arming one horrible dictator against another horrible dictatorship. And that's not happening here. We're arming, um, you know, some really, really good people who have, you know, the unfortunate... Uh, circumstance of being on the border with a uh, highly aggressive authoritarian country, and we're helping them push back. And uh, you know, the, the fact that they're taking that, they're running with it, and um, you know, getting that message out there um, is a testament to them. But um, but they're in the, they're they're morally, spiritually, um, objectively, they're in the right. You know what I'm saying? And that helps a whole lot too. So. Um, so, so yeah, Harp. What's what's your uh, 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 what's your take on you know where Russia stands right now politically and, and otherwise? I mean, I think in the long run they're they're gonna they're gonna feel it. Uh, but who's to say what's you know who's to say what's gonna what he's gonna do next? Don't, don't like you said, don't know right now. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, good. The only end game we know is is him. Yeah. So, though I, I, so last week when we spoke, I uh, was very very excited about the sanctions and very optimistic that they're gonna that they were gonna work. Um, or let me put this: I was completely optimistic that they were gonna work, and I still do think that they're gonna work. And I don't think that Putin is going to be able to hang on to power. But another scenario did. Um, occur to me over the weekend, and right now Russia has become a pariah state, and essentially they're like a much bigger version of North Korea, almost not entirely, but um, almost. And I, North, I mean, Putin, Putin said from day one he didn't give a shit about the sanctions. Oh yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't, and he doesn't get. He, Putin couldn't give a shit about the suffering of the Russian people. He doesn't care. He doesn't give a fuck. And, but um. I got to think to myself, I was like, ooh, I wonder if how long they can hold on um, in like a hermit-like North Korean type atmosphere. And I think there are a couple things that are different. Number one, there are a lot of cosmopolitan Russians who have, you know, over the last 30 years have traveled to Europe, have gotten abroad, um, who are used to a higher standard of living than the North Koreans. Like North Koreans like are used to fucking eating grass and shitting straw, you know, like... Um, They've just been they've been generations we're like three generations in from the Korean War now and like you know they they don't you know have the uh, broader knowledge of the world that um, you know many Russians do so um, so I don't think it will but you know we we I hope that Putin eventually falls but we might um, there is a scenario where he hangs on a lot longer and just the country just becomes much more. Uh, uh, isolated and secluded and angrier, you know. But um, but I I don't think that that's going to happen. But it is 
it is a possibility that we we do have to consider. You know what I mean? So. Well, well, we're about at the end right now. Um, Maxwell, you got, got anything, any final comments you'd like to say? Man, I think I have uh, tossed your ear off as usual. Mm-hmm. You can always count on that. I'll go for 20 minutes straight <laughs> by myself. But we always appreciate it. Your analysis is it's spot on and it's fantastic. You're very eloquent. We, we love having you on. It's, it's good to go. So thank you very much for being here. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, Harp, what do you got for us? Nice. We'll see. See where he's at next week. All right. All right. I don't. I don't predict too much changing, but mm-hmm. he can keep moving forward. I'm sure. All right. Good to go. So, I there's looking back on history. One of the things that um, I had not really uh, appreciated is when during wars, during times of conflict, I think that maybe at least half of the job of uh, leaders of countries is that, you know, after the initial shock of the war has worn off, it's keeping everybody together and keeping everybody on the same page and keeping everybody focused on the mission. It's kind of like herding cats. I thought about FDR and, you know, World War II in the U.S. lasted three and a half years. He died before the war ended, but um, most of his job with his, uh, or most of his uh, things he was preoccupied with, with his, you know, fireside chats during the radio and just um, the political uh, situation being what it was, it's just just keeping his domestic and international coalition together. And I think that that, um, if we're going to, uh, if we're going to win this war, number one, Biden has to, uh, I think he's done a good job so far, but he really, he has to keep it up. He has to keep it up. There's no guarantee that he's going to do it. He really has to keep it up. And number two, we as Americans um, have to uh, show solidarity with Ukraine we have to show solidarity with one another. We have to legitimately criticize Biden when he is uh, fucking up. But we also have to legitimately praise him when he's doing right. And um, and, and not you guys, but just in general, the the uh, we the, the the discourse in America has become become so corrosive um, that we do have to uh, before we criticize. I think we all need to take a step back and ask ourselves. Um, how is this really helping? And if we need to criticize, let's do it. Um, but let's know when to turn it back and keep our eyes on the prize, which is defeating Vladimir Putin and Russia. So, and if we can do that, we will be successful. If not, we will not. So, all right, all right, fellas. Well, again, Maxwell, thank you so much. We always love having you on. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right, and Harp, thank you as yep. well. Always have always a good time. And everybody's always. listening. Everybody's listening. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. Um, if you're listening uh, in the U.S. or Ukraine, please stay safe. And we will see you next week.